Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago Day. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, one of our church plants over in Vancouver, House of Providence, they give away bacon. Every, to every dad as they walk through the door. It's like this piece of bacon. That, that would get some marriages going. And Imagine the visitors we would have if we were just out there cooking bacon. Just people flocking. But then I was like, well, we would have like animal rights people at Imago, and then we had the vegans, and that one piece of bacon took all the beautiful unity that we share in Christ and destroyed it. People tackling each other. We're glad that you're with us today. We're going through, uh, we're reading through the Bible. And uh, as we go through the Bible, we're teaching through it on Sundays. And so feel free to join us. We're in Psalms. So we're looking at the songs that Um, were given to us by the church. These are songs that were written uh, by different people to create kind of a picture of who God is for his people in the midst of real circumstances. And the the thing about these songs is we sing them, and they're in a section of the Bible, uh, called wisdom literature, that right in the middle of this book, which is mostly a story, God puts a a, a collection, a really thick little book of poems and songs to capture what it is to walk through life and and the real events that we kind of enter, enter into, the good times, the bad times, and articulates them with music. And in doing that, kind of gives us permission to move past a a faith that is primarily cognitive, like just mentally I'm thinking about these propositions and I trust them, but actually to move it from our head to our heart into the emotive, into the affections, into the longings and the desires and the pains and the angst of life that, that we all experience, unless we're just running on autopilot. That God wants you to be fully alive, to feel fully, to articulate yourself to him in an authentic way, and to do all of that with the hope that he's actually in the game with us. Well, today we're going to look at at Psalm 34. Before we get there, I want to give you the backdrop, okay? Here is the event, the actual situation in which David wrote this psalm. So if you remember, David was anointed to be king when he was just young, like in, in his teenage years. And, um, and then he went and he served King Saul, who, who kind of got worse and worse and went from bad to worse, and eventually wanted and tried many times to kill David. So this moment where David is on the run, and he's sort of at the end of himself, he's starving, and he goes into the priest, and he's like, do you got any bread? And the priest is like, well, we don't have any bread. We have 
the bread that we just cooked that we put before the presence of God. And what I love about David is that when there was a time to be religious and worshipy, he did that. When it was time to eat, he ate. And at this moment, it was time to eat. So he takes the bread of the presence out of kind of the holy of holies and digs in, right? Jesus later on, walking through the fields with his disciples on a Sabbath, is busted for picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath. And then he goes, well, that's what David did. Jesus blames David for his own. <laughs> he wasn't really blaming. He was actually going, good job, David. I'm, I'm in this with you. Um, so he's in this moment, and he knows that the king uh, of Gath is, wants him. Uh, it's going to take him captive. He goes, hey, do you have, you have any weapons here? You know, to a priest who's like, yeah, I got AKs, I got everything. What do you want? Um, he's like, the only thing we have is Goliath's sword. Remember the, the giant that you killed and cut his head off? Oh, yeah, I'll take that sword. That's an awesome sword. So then he finds himself in Gath, which is where Goliath was from. So if you're the guy that killed Goliath and you're hanging out and you're holding Goliath's sword, there really wasn't a strong welcoming and presence for him. They weren't excited to see him. And he was up against it. He was outnumbered. And they took him before the king. And he's desperate. Like, what do you do when even though you're David and you kill Goliath, you're still surrounded? And he, he gets an idea and he acts like he's nuts. And he just starts flinging the sword all over the place. He's drooling. He's screaming. And um, some of you are like, what a bizarre thing to do. But as a guy... I've thought about it. If you're ever outnumbered, one thing you can do is act like you're crazy. Because when you start just like, wah, right, you're freaking out. People are like, I'm just a little concerned about attacking that guy. Because I don't know, like, he, what if he throws it? Like, what if he's, like, so, so the king is sitting there watching David drool and hit everything. And he's like hey, I got enough crazy people already in my kingdom. Get him out of here. And that's how he, that's how he was saved. So f- use that if you, ever, <laughs> if you ever get pulled over by a policeman or something. <laughs> it might backfire. <laughs> Didn't work. I was in the back of the cop car two minutes later. <laughs> Maced. Um, so David flees. He goes to the hills and 400 men come to him to be his, his kind of army. And it is a group of people that are not really the ones you want to make up your army. First Samuel 22 says this, All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So all of a sudden, he's got these men who are there whose lives are a train wreck. They're distressed, meaning they're they're running from their life or some bad situation. They're in debt. They can't pay, so they're fleeing. They're discontented, which could mean any number of things from angst and uh, rebellion to I'm just giving up. And it's out of these 400 men that he compiles his army to eventually lead Israel. 
And what he does to go, how will I take these men and form kind of a, a, a cohesive us out of these men who, are, who, who have given their allegiance to God? How am I going to do that? And he does it by, by writing a song. Isn't that funny? Like you would think boot camp or something like that. And he picks up like a mandolin. Says, hey, gather around. And he uses music to instruct them in the ways of God. He learns it probably from Moses after the book of Deuteronomy. God says, hey, teach them this song. And it was through that song that they would remember who is God and who are we and what has he done and how are we supposed to live. And so this is the song that he teaches them, and it begins with this declaration of, of gratitude for God's deliverance. Psalm 1, Psalm 34, verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt in his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. The poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. So in this first part of this song, David connects his praise to God in the midst of his real life situation, but he includes their circumstances and calls them to join him and say, come and glorify God with me. So you hear words like he says, um, he talks about that God hears and delivered him, that those who have their faces covered with shame, the poor man calls, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Who's he talking about? He's talking about all of them who look at their lives and he's going now, but listen, here's what I want you to do. Your circumstances are dire. Your brokenness is real. Your sin is real. But I want you to come with me and together we're going to glorify God. And he starts with gratitude. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. There is a gift of desperation in David's situation. There's a gift of desperation in these men's situation. And by the way, their wives may have been with them as well as their kids. They had come to the end of themselves in a sense. They, they were afflicted. They were broken. They were distressed and debted and discontent. And it's out of that place that the circumstances seem to dictate you should, you should try to survive. You should steal or cheat or do whatever it takes because, because the world has basically ripped you off. I think for us as good Americans, as good consumers, we live with this huge sense of entitlement. And so when our situation or our circumstances become that distress, Dress and despair kind of situation, we immediately begin to blame God. 
to treat him like a, a failed product, like a God whose guarantee isn't standing up for itself. I'd like to take him somewhere and return him for a God who will actually perform better in my life. And the idea of at that moment going, this is actually uh, the context, this is actually the, the very place that, that praise and gratitude should come from. That in this place of humility, when I realize that I don't have anything, that I have nothing to give, all I bring is my liability for some reason, the goodness of God is with me. And they're sitting there, they're in these hills, and people are coming after them. And so this band of misfits is there, and he ends by saying, the Lord, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. That in all of our brokenness, and our dependence, and our distress, God is here. Right smack dab in the midst of our mess. And he's actually the fortress around our life that secures us against our enemies, against the real threats of life to deliver us. And so I wonder today where you go with your distress. Like as you find yourself in whatever circumstance that is for you, it could be a relational situation, a financial situation, your own heart has just gone off and to the darkness or whatever that thing is for you. What do you do there? Do you run to entitlement? Do you shift blame? Or do you humbly say it's, it's in this place? Let us, as the people of God, glorify God together. Let us exalt his name. And then he invites them. He invites them to participate with David in a grateful life of trust and hope. Look at verse 4, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What's he doing right here? He's, he's using a song to disciple the men. Right? This is his way of discipling them. How do we live in this context of gratitude amidst our distress? And how do we live there? And he says, I'm going to use this song to disciple you. And one of the gifts that the Psalms gives us is it disciples us at an emotional level, at an affective level. And when you are in a place of pain or distress or hardship, that's what you need. For many of us, we, we go, okay, in this moment, 
I'm supposed to have gratitude. So somehow, I'm going to just cling to it and try to think of some propositional truth that I'll just conjure up emotions to affirm. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the, action, the activity, the actions of someone who is going to trust in a relationship with God. And so music does that for us. Worship does that for us. I remember talking with Eric Knox, who uh, spent four years in Corvallis, not hearing any gospel music, Corvallis, um, need I say more? And, and he would say, the, the, in the midst of those four years, there was this other style of music that discipled me emotionally into a place that I hadn't gone before. And he sat in it. And so today, as even Michelle leads us, one of the most helpful things for me when it comes to kind of gospel type worship is the understanding that what we're experiencing in this is that we are the choir and Michelle is the, is the worship leader and we are all collectively singing to God, the audience that we sit before. And so you have a part to sing and when we move in, in, this, in our sort of gratitude in our worship to just that cynical, stuck in my head, I'll deal with my pain and my hardship through kind of an uh, intellectual way, you never get to the bedrock of what's actually there in the affective place in your heart, in the emotions. That's why David's talking about desire, longing, all these words, most of us don't ever want to touch that space because some of us will cry, some of us will get mad, we'll feel something we don't want to feel. So we're much more content going, don't disciple me into that place, let's just have a class where we can learn more truth, where I can write down neat notes and propositions, and I can control this dance with God. I could keep them over there in my notebook, away from my emotions. What the songs of God's people are supposed to do is connect the head and the heart into a new place that you haven't been before. And so he's looking out at a complete band of misfits. These are people who live distressed, debt, discontented lives. And what do you do in those situations Apart from God, you survive. They steal, they lie, they cheat, they rob, they rebel, they run. And he turns to them and says, now there's going to be a new way of being as we live out this plan to glorify the Lord. So taste, see, fear, seek, turn pursue. He's using all of these verbs that point to a relationship that you're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. You're going to fear the Lord and know you'll lack nothing. You're going to understand that uh, if we desire good days, we're going to turn from evil. We're going to pursue peace. We're going to seek peace. 
And he frames this language around these two realities, the goodness of God's love and the poverty of evil and its effects. He's essentially saying gratefulness is the result of an active relationship that leans heavily in to the invitation of God who loves you and wants to be with you in this place. And so they know the effects of evil. They have run from the consequences of sin and brokenness and all these things. And now he's going, there's a different path. And as you follow me, we're going to go down that path. And it's a path of active relationship. We're going to seek the Lord together. We're going to turn from evil. We're going to fear God, not our enemies, not our circumstances. We're going to seek peace, not rebellion and violence. And the goodness of God has promised to be with us. So he uses music to disciple them into what it means to live in a love relationship with God and to put your hope in a God who has promised to be faithful to you. In the last section, he, he, he paints this picture poetically of God that despite their circumstances, God's involved in their situation, acting on their behalf. Look at verse 15. He says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And so he invites them now to to see God in the midst of the actual circumstance they find themselves in, but to see God through this lens uh, of relationship. And so he says, look, God's eyes see you. His ears hear you. He delivers you. He's close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He delivers you from all your troubles. He protects all your bones. He'll rescue you. He's saying this is who God is. So, so when the song starts and he says, hey, come with me, let's worship, let's glorify this God who is delivered and protected and saved. And then he goes, but, but there's a part for you to play. There's your part to sing, if you will. You're going to turn and you're going to trust and you're going to obey But I want you to know that all of that is couched in the fact that this is who God is to us. He is watching over you with care. He is against your enemies. He is attentive and listening to your cries. 
He's ready to deliver you. He's close to you who are hurting today. He is ready to protect and to deliver you. And you never have to fear condemnation. I mean, these are people who are running from the law, running for their lives. And he says, but greater than all of your fears, greater than the pain and hopelessness of what you're experiencing, this God that we are going collectively to glorify, this God is with us. And he is far greater than anything that comes against us. And that's a place of hope. It's a place of gratitude. It's a place where God takes a band of misfits and turns them in to a worshiping army for his purposes. So then that means this song meets us today. And it meets us in an invitation to experience that same life of gratitude with the expectation that you will have your own song to write about the deliverance of God on your behalf. As we come here today, there's no secret that for many, many of us, it's, we find ourselves or people we love in the very same situation that David's men were in. And the question that, that our cynicism, our consumerism, our other isms beg is, where's God? Does he care? Is he with us? And how can I practice gratefulness in this place? But there is a relationship that you're invited to. That, that finds you in the very circumstances that you're in and brings you peace and brings you love and brings you hope in the promise that Jesus has walked into that place with you. That he is encamped around you. That he took your sin, your debt, your distress, your pain, with him to the cross. And now he is resurrected and ascended and is able to comfort and to heal and to be with you. And so Paul, Paul's language in the book of Philippians is rejoice, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. And now he writes this letter from a jail cell. Can you imagine getting a letter from someone in jail who says, hey, rejoice, rejoice always. I'll say it again. It's not too hard for me. Rejoice. You're like, dude, you're in jail. Like that is the definition of no joy. And you're telling me to rejoice. But, but he knew the one who had broken much greater chains than the ones he bore. He knew one who blew out the walls of a much darker jail cell called the gates of hell. He knew one who had conquered everything and was ready to take him home. And it's out of that place that that jail cell turned into an opportunity to sing a new song, 
to encounter the living God in his midst and to have a new hope. And so this morning, I wanna invite you to this table, a table that declares to us today that clearly this is not a God who doesn't understand your distress or your debt or your discontented heart, but a God who became those things for you on a cross, who says, this is my body, let it be broken for you. This is my blood, let it be shed for you so that you would know that I am with you and you are with me. And now I invite you to dare, to dare to sing a song of gratitude to the God who is with you. I dare you to let Michelle lead us as the choir to sing our part so that that place of mourning could be turned into joy. Dare to let yourself be discipled with the songs that connect to our heart. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come to you this morning and we would ask, God, that you would, you would hear our prayers, you would listen to the words of our songs, you would be all that you are, you would be that to us today in this moment, so that in our distress, in our brokenness, in our sin, God, you would hear as we cry out to you. You would see, you would listen, you would respond, you would deliver, you would be the Lord Jesus Christ who encamps around our life to rescue and protect and deliver us. That you would move all the good insight we have about you down to the affective emotions of our heart and you allow us to feel what it means to be loved by you and to love you in return. And so we sing these songs of gratefulness today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www dot amago de community dot com